Thank you so much for joining me this week on Teach Me How to Money. We are here with Sarah Lee Kane, who is a personal finance expert, and she's going to talk to us about love and money. Hi, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. My pleasure. So Sarah, first, uh, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and uh, the kind of stuff that you love to talk about. Sure. So my name is Sarah, of course, and I'm a blogger over at a website called High Fiving Dollars, where I teach people that if you can master your mindset, you can master your money. Um, I'm also in quite a few other publications talking about personal finance. So one of the things I really love to talk about and I get a lot of questions about is actually on money and relationships, probably because I, I famously went on stage a few years ago talking about my terrible breakup story and how I recovered from it. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, can you tell me a little bit about that? I'd be really interested if it's okay, if it's yeah. not too personal. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. Well, I've shared it with thousands of people, so it's, you know, nothing anymore. <laughs> so this happened about 10 years ago, and I had actually moved overseas to Australia for a job. And so my ex-boyfriend had moved with me. So long story short, you know, he, he didn't have a job at the time. And so I basically helped with the rent and things like that while he got on his feet. Um, and so for about a year, I pretty much took care of all the expenses, including when I had a promotion, I flew him across the country. We went on all these trips. Then I decided, okay, I'm going to move back and you know, buy a house. And I thought we were going to get married and all of that. And he basically broke up with me over MSN Messenger to those of you who know what that is. No. <laughs> About two, yeah, two weeks after I moved back. And so then I realized, oh, I really should check my credit card statement. And I was $9,000 in debt. I had no job, absolutely no money in the bank. And I had to basically claw my way out of that. <laughs> oh my gosh. So, oh my God, there's a lot going on here. So how long ago was this? This was... I think 2006, so about 12 years ago. Now. Okay, so you're you're in better shape now. You've gotten through this. You're you're doing yes. okay now. Have you spoken to him since? No, I haven't actually. Well, we're all going to send him some very bad vibes, just just so you know. <laughs> but this is a great, you know, a way of kicking off this topic. You know, it's Valentine's Day. People talk about love and money and spending money on roses, and everything is very romantic. But when it comes to relationships, you have to talk about money, and it's not always a romantic conversation. And if you don't talk about it, really ugly things can happen. Yes, exactly. Actually, the biggest lesson I really learned from that was, A, I didn't have boundaries, and B, we never really talked about money. And that is clearly a very important part of a relationship. You're right, it's not very romantic, but it is a a crucial part, especially if you're going to be commingling your finances. We were living together, so clearly we should have talked about money and rent but I think at the end of the day, it was just as much as my fault as it was his, I guess, for me paying for everything because I just assumed, oh, it'll just naturally work out. And I never I never said anything and clearly didn't naturally work out. <laughs> for sure. But sometimes when you're making more money than somebody, you know, that can be very complicated. And that's something that when two people move in together, um, who splits the bills? Is the person, I'm sorry, how do you split the bills? If one person makes more, is it unfair to split the bills? And sometimes did you feel guilty? Like, oh, I'm making more. I should, I should pay more. Was is that how you felt? Yeah. So I think the reason I really didn't speak up about money was I felt guilty. I felt responsible because he had moved halfway across the world to be with me. And so I felt this weight of responsibility on my shoulders. And so I basically used money as a way to, for, to me to make me feel less guilty. It was, oh, I'm paying for this. So therefore, I don't have to feel bad about him not quitting his job and moving all the way to Australia for me. Well, Australia is a pretty nice place. You know, you could have been worse. You could have asked him to move to a lot worse places. So I'm, I'm, that's true. That's my true. pity for him is very limited. 
But um, so say you are moving in with with uh, your significant other. What are some conversations do you recommend having before you guys start, you know, getting the big bed and throwing your stuff in a pile? Yeah. So I'll, I'll use my husband and I as an example. So we, we actually talked about money quite openly even before we started dating, which I, I guess is a good sign. And so when we were moving together, when we were we got engaged and we were planning our wedding and talking about all of that, we, we actually looked at our expenses. So what each of us actually spent in terms of utilities and rent, groceries, and so we sort of averaged it down the middle. And so I, I to be honest, I can't remember how much I spent on utilities. Let's say a hundred bucks a month. Sure. And he spent 75. We'd be like, okay, let's let's take it on the larger end. Let's just budget a hundred dollars and then we'll kind of go from there. Um, if there was a huge discrepancy in terms of what we spend as far as like disposal income, then then we really just had to have a conversation about can we afford this if we were to merge our accounts or should we just have separate allowances or things like that? And so it just really comes down to how, what each of your spending habits are and are there ways to compromise or if you can't compromise, what can you do in order to make it work with, for both of you? I'll make both of you happy. Well, the other thing is everyone spends differently. Like my husband, like he doesn't like to, sp- he doesn't spend a lot of money. He's kind of likes to cook at home. He doesn't, doesn't like to really shop. You know, I like to go out. So to spend, to keep everything split sometimes isn't really fair. Um, just because you're married doesn't mean you have to hurl all your finances or just you're living to someone, hurl your finances together. You know, that's sort of a myth too, I felt. Yeah, no, and that's perfectly fine. I think people make the assumption that just because you're living together or you're married that you have to commingle your finances. So it made sense for my husband and I because I'm actually Canadian. And so we when we made the decision to live in the U.S., I I pretty much had no choice at the time. I didn't have a credit history. I didn't have any of that. And so I I basically had to latch onto his accounts. And so we had to make it work that way. But I know plenty of couples who actually do have separate accounts and then they have one account where they basically deposit all their, um, all the money for their expenses. And so everything else is kind of just up for grabs and that works out for them. So when you move in with somebody, you know, sometimes you have to sign a new lease and there's nothing less romantic than saying, you know, how can we make sure that I'm not on the hook for this lease if we break up? But do you think that's an important conversation to have before you move in with somebody? Yes. Even if you're getting married, even if you're not getting married, it's super, super important. I think even before that happens, you, you can get a good sense. I mean, I hope you can get a good sense of of somebody's work ethic and the way that they treat responsibility. And if you ever feel like you can't trust them as far as, okay, I wouldn't say not trust them, but maybe if there's some sort of inkling where you feel like, hey, you've been behind or you rent for a few months, like, can we have a really honest conversation about what's going to happen if you can't pay the rent? Or if we do break up and we're stuck with this lease, what can we do? And it could just be set aside some money just in case, have a, I don't know, a joint emergency fund, something like that, something creative where you can, you can be able to have those honest conversations. You know, for me, when I was talking way back about my relationship in in Australia, you know, that was something that we should have talked about. Sure. And I was too scared to do it. And fortunately, we didn't really have a terrible landlord. So I actually left before our contract was up. He didn't really hold him responsible for the rent or anything like that. I just was able to leave. But, you know, you could find yourself in some pretty nasty situations. So you got to be prepared for that. Why do you think people are so scared to talk about money and expectations about money in a relationship? So one of the 
I think one of what I've learned in, in writing, interviewing so many people about this is that there's a lot of shame and there's a lot of your, your self-worth tied into money. And so we feel like you're not making enough or if you have a lot of debt, for example, or you know, let's just say you don't know how to save. People think that that ties into who you are as a person. Sure. And so when you admit these things to, to your loved one, you just are so afraid of being judged or afraid of them saying something negative, for example, that that is a very scary thing to, to really think about. For sure. And you don't want to feel like you're judging them. Like, I just need to know what you're coming to the table with. Doesn't mean I'm going to reject you. Everyone has student loan debt. Everyone, I mean, most people carry a balance on their credit card. So if you just want to know the landscape, you shouldn't feel bad for asking. And you could tell that person that I'm not judging you. I just sort of want to know. Because there's a big difference yeah. between like, five, you know, a few thousand dollars in a credit card and you know, many personal bankruptcies and, you know, uh, creditors chasing you, there's a big difference. Exactly. I mean, when I, when I started getting really serious with my now husband, I was actually quite ashamed of talking about the, the time I was in Australia and how I got into credit card debt. But, you know, once I basically admitted to him, he's like, well, you're not in debt anymore, are you? And I said, no. And so he said, well, that's, that's great. You know, that means I know I can trust you with my money. And that was the nicest thing anybody's ever said to me at that, that time. That is so. nice. <laughs> yeah. No, it's very serious. And admitting, you know, you were also very young. People make mistakes when they're young with money, you know. And also it was an error in romantic judgment, you know, and, and you learned from it. And that's so important. And you paid it off. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank well, I'm, you. I'm very proud of you. So Thank you. This is something else. So you're dating someone. Should you be careful about co-signing a loan with somebody? You know, you're in love. You want to go in on help them out with a car, help them out with, you know, something that they need. What are some things people should be careful of before they do that? Yeah, definitely co-signing a loan is, is a big one. Even I'd even say with friends and family, I think you just have to be you have to take the emotion out of it. You have to sort of step back and look at it with a very objective lens. Yes, you're in a relationship with somebody or very close to somebody. It's okay to say no. They may be mad at you. And if you know the relationship really suffers and you have to think about, okay, well, is this worth is this a relationship worth being in then? If someone's going to be really mad that yeah. I'm not willing to co-sign a loan or lend me money, things like that. A few years ago, I actually did end up lending money to a friend and I started not lending money. I said no to the request and that friendship is no longer. And so for me, I was like, okay, well, I was really sad. But at the same time, if someone's going to get mad at me for saying no to a request, then maybe they're not really my friend. And yeah, I mean, that's really it. Just be okay with saying no and understand that sometimes you have to let relationships go if they if they're not the best for you. Well, it, do you think that someone should feel comfortable, so, you know, if they're co-signing a loan or lending someone money, that they should be comfortable with a contract? Just like, hey, like approach it like a business. Like you said, take the emotion out of it and just say, I'm going to lend you $2,500 and you're going to pay me back $250 a month. And then we're going to call it good. Do you think that's a good thing to do? Yes, I do. I've had people that I know actually have drawn up contracts. And um, even though it was like an interest-free loan for a few yeah. thousand dollars, they, they did it anyways. And it was just really one of those where they said it. they felt better knowing that there was a, a contract. It wasn't that they didn't trust each other. It was just they felt better knowing that there was something. And uh, I, I don't see anything wrong with that at all. Yeah, it helps you take the loan seriously, if that helps. It does. And I like what we were talking about. So money can be a little bit of a red flag. I find that if someone, I mean, we all get defensive about money. I mean, I know I do. <laughs> but but if someone like won't talk about their finances or gets really angry when you bring it up, do you think that that's kind of a red flag that they might want to 
not necessarily run, but <laughs> reconsider? Um, I always look at things through the lens of the context of the conversation, sure. how it was brought up. And so the best thing I could say is really just go with your gut. If they're repeatedly rejecting requests to talk about money, especially if you're moving in, yes, that is a that is a big red flag. If you're casually bringing something up and let's say they're really ashamed of their credit score and sure. they refuse to talk about it, okay, that's fine. Maybe later out of the relationship, they'll be like, hey, I, I'm sorry, I was really ashamed of my credit score or something like that. So I think you just have to go with your gut feeling like, like I said, if it's something happening repeatedly, yeah, got to think carefully and and think about what else aren't they revealing about themselves. Exactly. You just don't want them to have a secret life. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to find out someday <laughs> that they have like six wives or whatever. Exactly. And, <laughs> I know. I always jump other... to the worst conclusion. <laughs> but I think that's true too. And I mean, we're all very sensitive. You know, I have very different spending habits than, again, than my husband. And we have different credit cards. I wouldn't want anyone looking over my shoulder and saying, why did you buy that? Why did you buy that? Like, so there is also some privacy with money as well. Mm-hmm. And and what I found works, my husband and I don't really judge each other in our um, purchases. So we kind of don't care if we have a joint bank account. But there are some couples that I do know that I think they do prepaid cards. And so every month, you know, let's say they put in 50 bucks. And so it doesn't matter what they spend it on. It's just theirs to spend. And so the person in the relationship doesn't really know what's going on. And they're not afraid of being judged by, you know, buying all these, I guess, hair products or whatever it is that they're (laughs) buying for $50 a month. So... Those are necessities, actually. So <laughs> there should be no judgment. But I think that's interesting, too. Like the person that controls the money in the relationship can also be a very big deal. A lot, in a lot of um, a lot of households, one member controls the credit card, one, one member controls the checking account. And I think it's really important for everyone to have an equal say. And if one person's like, oh, you know, the man controls the credit card and the woman gets an allowance, that still happens. And I think that's pretty, I, my opinion, that's pretty a toxic way to go about things. What do you think? I, I completely agree. And again, something I've I've learned in just writing about personal finance and talking to so many people is that how you actually treat your money is the way you treat your relationships and people and actually just decision making in your life. And so huh. if you feel like you need to control your credit card usage, I mean, not your credit, maybe your wife's credit card usage, for example, then maybe there's some sort of fear around or, or, you know, fear around maybe she'll leave you. I don't know. I'm just totally throwing something in thin air. <laughs> thin air no, right that's now. really interesting. Huh. Yeah. And I found, I mean, there was um, just, you know, going off a story, I, there was a bunch of friends and I would all just regularly go out for dinner. This was when I was living overseas. And it, it turned out that this person actually mooched off of everybody. And it was because she just had no handle on boundaries at all. And so she viewed other people's monies almost as her own. And so she would do things like order extra drinks and we would all just split the bill evenly. And so we would end up paying for her stuff, huh. you know, things like that. Yeah. And it was, it was just very interesting realization when I, when I realized that she did that, of course I stopped hanging out with her <laughs> as a result because <laughs> she did multiple times. Well, also with boundaries, like you can let people get away with things and it becomes part of their behavior, you know? And, and I think, you know, saying like, Hey, I don't, whether it's a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a wife or a husband or a, or a friend, you have to kind of throw the hammer sort of early and say, I don't really like that. And that's no fun, but it is sort of the right thing to do, especially if you're getting all this anger building up. Yeah. And if if that person respects you and loves you and it is an equal relationship, there has to be those kinds of conversations. It's never fun and games. I mean, I've been married for almost eight years now, and I can honestly say that 
my husband and I have unfortunately not have some great conversations, but they were very necessary. And we've, we've become stronger as a couple as a result. I think that's great. Um, so my last question is, um, and just to bring it back to the beginning. So if you are going to quit your job to be with someone else, what are some questions about money that you recommend asking? Oh, wow. That's a really good, wow. That's a really good one. So something that I would definitely talk about is, is there a reserve of cash, um, on their end and on your end? Is, is there, is there some sort of contingency plan? Maybe if they have to find another job, what is it? They're, you know, what is their intention? Basically, are they going to find a job? What if they can't, you know, do they have to move back? Like what, what is it? So just think of all the different sort of worst case scenarios and all of possibilities that you can think of and how money can play into that um, is, is definitely extremely, extremely important. You know, thinking back 12 years ago, I, that's something that I should have done is think about like, hey, what if he didn't get a job? What would we have done? You know, did he have a savings account prepared for this situation? And even talk about cutting back expenses. Are there ways to cut back expenses while you move? Um can we pull our money together for a relocation budget if there wasn't one provided by my employer? You know, things like that. That's really good advice. And again, it's really hard to talk about, especially when you're doing something that seems like it's for love. You don't want to bring in something that seems very unromantic and cold like money. Yes, <laughs> right. but it's necessary. Right? But you got to do it. So yes. um, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? I don't celebrate Valentine's Day. It sounds really unromantic, but I don't. Um, sometimes I'll bake a chocolate cake and my husband and I will just eat it all. That's the best Valentine's Day I've ever heard. <laughs> I think that's a great idea. I might do that. I haven't decided. <laughs> yeah, Valentine's Day is terrible. I, I think everyone feels bad. But the good news about Valentine's Day is that uh, the next day all the chocolate's 50% off. Yes, that's so true. And I, I'm like a five-minute walk away from Walmart, so I might just do that. I think that's where it's at. Well, I hope that you have a romantic, frugal Valentine's Day the way you want it and not the way anyone else wants you to have it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Mine too. Thanks for listening to Teach Me How to Money. Send us your questions at teachmehowtomoney at stashinvest.com and we'll try to answer them on a future episode. If you like what you're hearing, leave us a review on the iTunes store, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Ready to start investing? Sign up for Stash and then enter the promo code PODCAST and you'll get $5 to get started on your financial journey. Stash, it's your money, simplified. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute a recommendation from Stash to the listener. Neither Stash nor any of its officers, directors, or employees makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this podcast and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Stash and Stash is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of advice by Stash to the listener, nor to constitute such a person a client of Stash.